Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lexicon Valley is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free book when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audiblepodcast.com slash lexicon. The following podcast contains explicit language. From Washington, D.C., this is Lexicon Valley, a podcast about language. I'm Bob Garfield with Mike Volo, and today, episode number 27, titled Accentuate the Positive, wherein we discuss how yeah, no can mean both or neither. Hey, Mikey. Hey, Bobby. How the heck are you, man? Splendid. Yourself? I'm great. Happy to be back. Yeah, it's been a long time. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, sure. Where have you been? <laughs> You know where I've been. I've been just down the road from you. Yeah, once again, we're neighbors, but we've been off in different directions. I've been flogging yet another book, and I actually don't know how you've been occupying your time while we've been on this extended hiatus. Uh, Well, it was taken up mostly with contract negotiations, (laughs) believe it or not. With the National Hockey League, with what? With Slate. We wanted to wait until I was official, as they say. I'm now a staff member at Slate. Well, mazel tov. Thank That's you. That's very good to hear. We finally made an honest man out of you. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's very happy. So I was going through some of the mail and comments from while we were away, and I noticed that Lexicon Valley inspired its very first listener haiku, which I think is a milestone, really. I don't know if you saw it. I I somehow missed it. But of course, it's small. It's very small. In fact, it's only 17 syllables. It was by Jake Bathman, and it goes like this. Subscribe and enjoy. With keen ears, you'll not regret your new pedantry. Your new, did he say head injury? (laughs) No, your new pedantry. Oh, pedantry. (laughs) Oh, that's so sweet. Not so much the words themselves, but just the sentiment behind them. Well, reading that haiku reminded me that whenever I hear the word pedantry, I think of the poem On Woman by William Butler Yeats. I don't know if you're familiar with that poem. On Woman by Yeats? No. Well, I'll recite for you just the brief relevant part. It goes, Though pedantry denies, it's plain the Bible means that Solomon grew wise while talking with his queens. Yet never could, although they say he counted grass, count all the praises due when Sheba was his lass. Yeah, that's a nice tribute to the old lady. 
Yeah, you should check it out. There's much more to it. It's called On Woman by William Butler Yeats. I promise you I have read that poem probably many times. But sadly, I am at that stage in life where I simply don't remember anything that didn't happen in the last five minutes except for everything that happened to me before I was six. Uh, Before we get into today's show, I want to mention a brief update Back in November, I think it was, we did an episode called Undocumented Illegals about the politics of some of the language around immigration reform, in particular, the phrase illegal immigrant, as opposed to, you know, undocumented worker or unauthorized, I think we mentioned, or some other word or phrase. As it happens, not too long ago, the Associated Press revised its style book. So, Bob, at your day job on the media... You spoke with AP editor Tom Kent, who explained the decision. Here's a little bit of what he told you. It's not just about illegal and illegal immigrant. We like to put the focus on action, what people are doing or the condition they find themselves in. The AP used to say the wheelchair-bound attorney. Now we say the attorney who uses a wheelchair. We used to say a schizophrenic. Now we say Smith, who has been diagnosed with schizophrenia. It's the same thing with illegal immigrant. So we say Smith, who is in the country illegally. We're still maintaining the concept of illegality, but we're just using the word in, we think, a more appropriate place rather than as a label at the ahead of the name. Yeah, I remember that conversation, Mike, and I remember the conversations before it where I was kind of ambivalent about fiddling with the status quo on the grounds, at the time anyway, that euphemism is always a short-term proposition and that the uh, whatever stigma always ends up catching up with the euphemism. But yeah, I think it was actually while doing Lexicon Valley, I had a, kind of a conversion experience in real time where I just thought about how dehumanizing some of the labels are when something like immigration status can be turned into uh, a noun. Wow, I was not expecting that. So you then applaud the AP's decision, I'm guessing. I do. You know, I'm still a little fearful that the language police aren't done, but I think in this case, the police, for once, did not overreact. Well, if you're interested in hearing a fuller discussion of this, including some historical background, check out our episode from November. Again, it's called Undocumented Illegals, and check out the On the Media segment at onthemedia.org. It's called Saying Goodbye to Illegal Immigrants. All right, today's episode. Back in 2003, Bob, shortly before his movie Big Fish came out, the director Tim Burton hosted a screening of it at the Museum of the Moving Image in New York. After the screening, he took questions from the audience. Someone pointed out that Big Fish was now his third movie in which the main character was named Ed or Edward, the other two, of course, being Edward Scissorhands and Ed Wood. All great movies, in my opinion. Before Tim Burton could respond, someone else from the audience shouted out, don't forget about Eddie Vedder at the end. What he was referring to was Eddie Vedder from the band Pearl Jam wrote a song, a really beautiful song, actually called Man of the Hour, that plays under the closing credits of Big Fish. So yet another Ed. Tim Burton then responded like this. Yeah, no, I know. I know, it is true. Now, at the very beginning there, Bob, I don't know if you noticed, but Tim Burton said... He said, yeah, no. I know, which, which is what we're all about here today. I, I got to say, before we get to the gist of our conversation, 
of all the many, many, many ways we could have gotten into this story, <laughs> I can't believe you seized on a you know a press event with Tim Burton from ten years ago. <laughs> you, you didn't have to go digging so deeply, but anyway, yep, that's the thing. Yeah, no. In fact, a number of listeners have written into us about this because a lot of people are confused about yeah, no. Is it a yeah? Is it a no? Is it like matter and antimatter colliding? Do they cancel each other out? <laughs> and, you know, we should mention that although yeah, no is most common, you sometimes hear variations of it like yes, no, or yup, no, or even yeah, nah in Australia. Look, Mike, I know I'm about to get an education here, but I, I want to tell you my supposition. You use the term antimatter. I actually think that yeah, no is linguistic antimatter. Because according to the rule of positives, negatives, and double negatives, yeah, no, should mean no. But yeah, no, in most usage, means yeah, right? You're onto something. It's a little more complicated than that, but we'll get there. This phenomenon, an affirmative followed immediately by a negative, has become not uncommon, let's say, in many English-speaking countries, here in the United States for sure, also in Australia. I mentioned Australia just a little while ago because it's two Australian linguists, Kate Burridge and Margaret Flory, who have done some of the most compelling research on this. They started out by doing a couple of things. First, they gave a bunch of people tape recorders, told them to go home or somewhere they feel comfortable, and record a 30-minute conversation with a friend, a family member, someone they know. Also, they got a bunch of episodes of this Australian television show called Front Up. It's hosted by a guy named Andrew Urban who goes out and interviews random people for five or ten minutes about their lives. These are essentially man-on-the-street interviews in which the subject of the interview is the man on the street. So between the tape recordings and the TV show, they had about 16 hours of conversations involving about 75 people. Sifting through all of that, they found 26 separate occurrences of yeah-no. All right, so it's not a 100 yeah-nos. I mean, we're not infested, but there is some evidence of pestilence. <laughs> exactly. Enough to determine whether perhaps it's used in different ways, right? Which is what linguists are often most interested in when it comes to these short words or phrases that crop up in people's speech. In other words, what's its function? But I want to first mention a couple of other interesting observations from their data about who uses it. So there didn't appear to be any sex difference. Men and women used it with equal frequency. There was, however, a stark age difference. You want to take a guess here? Hmm. Well, I've gotten in trouble imputing linguistic tics to demographic cohorts in the past. But putting that aside... I don't really associate this, for example, with younger people or with older people. I, to me, it spans the entire continuum of, uh, you know, age. Well, actually, that's pretty telling because what they found was that mid-30s to late-40s was the range with the highest number of yeah-nos by far. So the young and the old, older, I should say, 50 and up, not so much for the yeah-nos. Yeah, well, that makes sense to me. Okay, so what is the purpose of this seemingly paradoxical phrase, yeah, no. What is it accomplishing? Well, sometimes yeah, no is exactly what it sounds like. It's both yeah and no. I'll give you an example. I mentioned that Australian television program where this guy, Andrew Urban, 
walks around talking to people. In one episode, he interviewed a couple named Tom and Judy about where they lived. Tom said that they had a beautiful place overlooking the bay. They've been there for 11 years, they said. They had the place built themselves. You can watch the ships go up and down the harbor, he said. Andrew Urban then asks if this was their dream home. And Tom's wife, Judy, got maybe a little self-conscious because she said, yeah, but it's only a little house. You know, it's not a huge place. And Andrew Urban said, it's not a mansion. And Judy said, yeah, no, it's not a mansion. Yeah, Andrew, you're right. No, sir, it's not a mansion. Exactly. What Burridge and Flory point out very astutely, I think, is that this kind of yeah, no occurs often when you agree. When you agree with the negative. Exactly. You agree with what someone has just said, but the response they're leading you to give is a no, right? There's some dissonance there. Showing your agreement by saying no could seem ambiguous. It's not a mansion. No. Wait, no, it's not a mansion or no, I'm wrong. It is a mansion. You know, it's like it could be confusing. Hence the yeah, no to communicate literally yes and no, both of which are more or less appropriate. Well, yeah, I've had many of those confusing conversations about well, do you mean yes or do you mean no? But I truthfully have never noticed the yeah, no being employed to solve that confusion. Well, that's because you're out of the age range of people who tend to use it. Oh, yeah, thank you. Once again, <laughs> once again. You guys don't know about these modern linguistic inventions. Is there any subject that we can address on this podcast that will not wind up with you reminding me how fucking old I am? Time will tell, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> well, hurry up because clearly I don't have much of it left. All right. Now, there's another kind of yeah, no, that like this first one we talked about, preserves the literal meaning of yes and no, but serves a slightly different function. Here's a clip from the Slate Sports Podcast, a great Slate Sports Podcast, Hang Up and Listen. Mike Pesca, a sports reporter for NPR, is talking about the men's college basketball team from Wichita State, which had a number of big upsets in the recent NCAA March Madness tournament. Pesca is arguing that they're not quite the Cinderella story everyone thinks they are, and then Josh Levine, the host of Hang Up and Listen, responds. Their coach is extremely well compensated. His base salary is a million dollars. He's already made a six-figure bonus by getting as far as he did. And if he wins it all, he gets another $600,000. So they're not doing it on, you know, the smiles and shoe polish. Yeah, no, it really complicates the traditional Cinderella idea, which is that you have this group. Okay, I hear it, Mike. He's affirming Mike's take on the Cinderella thing. Is it different from the mansion example you played a moment ago? It's very similar to the mansion example. But in this case, Josh Levine is not being prompted to give a no answer. He just merely agrees with what Pesca is saying. The function here is what Burridge and Flory call emphatic agreement. They say, and I'll quote from their paper, the word no functions to strongly reinforce the agreement of yeah by removing any possibility of contradiction. This is the kind of yeah, no that Tim Burton was using. You know, hey, Tim, this is your third movie in which the lead character is named Ed, not to mention Eddie Vedder wrote the song at the end of this movie. And Tim Burton replies, Yeah, no, I know. Well, I, <laughs> nah, I know, it is true. I, I will think enough about myself to go like, What's it with? Because I don't really like the name Ed, actually. I think of this yeah, no as similar to a double amen. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that term, but some of the Psalms in the Bible end not with a single amen, 
but with two of them. For example, Psalm 41, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. The double amen is emphatic agreement. It's saying yes and yes. Josh Levine's yeah, no, Tim Burton's yeah, no, is saying yes, no, do not think for a second that I don't agree. A kind of double affirmation. All right, Mike, I I see the difference, prompted and unprompted, but there's another permutation of this usage, right? Not just one more. There's at least a couple more. But first, let's take a short break and mention our sponsor, Audible.com. Audible is the leading provider of audio entertainment and information on the Internet. Their vast library of audiobooks is well over 100,000. If you sign up for a free 30-day trial membership, you get one free audiobook of your choice. Visit the URL audiblepodcast.com slash lexicon. This week's recommendation comes from my brother, who, along with his wife, is an amateur triathlete and marathoner. The book is called Born to Run, A Hidden Tribe, Super Athletes, and the Greatest Race the World Has Never Seen. It's by Christopher McDougall, and it's narrated by Fred Sanders. I went through a number of the comments for this book and was struck by how many non-runners loved it. Amazing read even for non-runners. Superb doesn't even do this book justice. One listener from Tokyo said that they liked the book so much it inspired them to actually start running, and they've now signed up for the Tokyo Marathon next year. I have not yet listened to the book, but it sounds fantastic. If you sign up for the membership, it also includes a free subscription to either the New York Times or Wall Street Journal Daily Audio Digest. Give it a try. The URL is audiblepodcast.com slash lexicon. Okay, let's take another example from an episode of that Australian television show, Front Up. In this case, Andrew Urban is interviewing two sisters, Tosh and Nadia. He asks them, what would you get dressed up for? Tosh says for a hot date, but that she doesn't really even do that anymore because she's put on a bunch of weight and she's been feeling down about it. Nadia then chimes in that she sometimes gets dressed up for herself, just to look in the mirror and say, hey, you're looking good. And then she takes off the outfit. Andrew Urban has a brief back and forth with her about that. And then Tosh comes back in and picks up where she left off and says, yeah, no, I think there's just no motivation to get dressed up. I mean, unless you're on the prowl. Burridge and Flory call this the resumptive yeah, no. They say that it allows you to acknowledge the contribution of the person who just spoke before you, and at the same time, resume what you were talking about. Yeah, it's another way of saying I I hear what you're saying, and I do hear what you're saying. And once again, Mike, as predicted, I am getting an education here because it turns out that these various forms of yeah-no that you've described so far each have a function, a, a linguistic function attached to them I had taken it for just a tick. Here's another example of yeah, no. This one's from Slate's Political Gab Fest podcast. This is Emily Bazelon and John Dickerson. They're talking about these very restrictive anti-abortion laws that have popped up in some states, laws that Emily says are effectively complete abortion bans. These are complete abortion bans, right? These heartbeat bills. Yeah, and therefore very clearly unconstitutional under Roe versus Wade. Explain that to people who haven't, who aren't as steeped in this as you two are. Why is it just like totally? <laughs> That's John's code for. <laughs> 
Well, I mean, we're- make no sense. Um, yes, no, fair enough. Because Rule versus Wade says that. Hey, Mike. Two things. First of all, this sounds like one of those resumptive yeah nos, or in this case, I think Emily said yes no. And the second point I want to make is uh, we've established that we went on hiatus while you negotiated a contract with Slate. Did that contract include a provision to have sound bites <laughs> from every Slate podcast within our own? No, but a lot of the people who work at Slate are in that sweet spot of the demographic of people who use this construction a lot. And so it just happens that I notice that a lot of Slate staffers are yeah knowers. And so it was just a handy way for me to get examples. Okay. Yeah, knowers. So let's do a kind of close reading of that exchange. Emily says that these abortion laws are no doubt unconstitutional. John asks her to explain that more. Emily makes a joke that what John really means is she's not making sense and she needs to explain it better. That's when Emily says, yeah, no, or as you point out, yes, no, which is much more rare. The yes acknowledges John's request for her to elaborate, and the no allows her to pivot to resume her discussion of why these laws are almost certainly unconstitutional. Now, Burridge and Flory point out that sometimes this resumptive yeah, no is used not to resume a previous thread of the conversation, but to, in fact, change topics entirely. And you could see how it would function in that way. The yes still acknowledges what the previous speaker was saying, and the no allows you to pivot to an unrelated thread. Mike, am I imagining this? It seems to me that before I heard yeah, no in common usage, I heard a mere no to mean yes in exactly the same way. It looks bad out there. No, it it does look terrible out there. It's kind of an emphatic. It's just an odd use of the opposite word to connote emphasis. You could think of that as the sort of second half of the emphatic agreement, yeah, no. In other words, yeah, don't think for a second I don't agree with that. So in the example that you're using, you're just jumping right to the don't think for a second I don't agree with you. So does it exist or am I just delusional? You're delusional, but it exists. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) All right. Let's talk about one more kind of yeah, no. Sometimes it functions, as Burge and Flurry point out, as a kind of hedging device or softener. For example, in an episode of Front Up, Andrew Urban is talking to a woman named Dorothy and her grandson, Peter, who are out shopping. They're talking for a few minutes, and then Dorothy says that they really need to get on with their shopping. Peter, her grandson, says, yeah, no, it's all right, Nana. We've got five minutes. In other words, she wants to go. Peter wants to stay and keep talking. And so his yeah, no, according to Burridge and Flory, has the function of reducing the force of a disagreement. Similarly, this kind of yeah, no can function to reduce the force of an agreement. Why would you want to do that? Well, imagine that you're meeting somebody and they show up 20 minutes late and you're ticked off about it, but they say, I'm really sorry I'm late. You might respond, yeah, no, it's okay. Don't worry about it. You want them to know that you agree that they're late, but you're not agreeing too much. You're letting them off the hook. Oh, you're late and I'm pissed, but I'm not going to make a big deal about it. Exactly. It's a softener. And I'll give you one more context in which yeah, no acts in this hedging kind of way. This is when somebody receives a compliment, and in responding to the compliment, they want to sound modest. 
Burge and Flory have a great example of this from an Australian Ironman competition. The winner is being interviewed on TV. The interviewer says, And with me is one champion, a phenomenal effort, Kai Hurst. You said you felt buoyant today. You proved that. Some of the best body surfing we've ever seen. And Kai Hurst responds, yeah, no, that was pretty incredible, I think. <laughs> He's you know, agreeing with this fantastic compliment, but he doesn't want to sound immodest. Okay, Burge and Flurry do a really good job in their paper of tying this all together. I'll read for you a bit of what they write. Whether to emphasize agreement, play down disagreement, soften a refusal, downgrade a compliment, or hedge an apology, the use of yeah, no stems from the speaker's desire for conversational harmony. In a single expression, yeah, no encapsulates both agreement and disagreement. Its various functions all serve to minimize confrontation. Oh, my God, Mike. That's the answer. Now I realize why I myself do not use yeah, no. Why is that? I have no desire for conversational <laughs> harmony. I'm never trying to preemptively assuage hurt feelings. You know, I got a candor problem. <laughs> Minimizing confrontation is just not on your conversational agenda. Nor my career agenda. No, 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 no. It's, uh, <laughs> it's not for me. I got one thing for you, though. What's that? We've just spent, whatever, 20 minutes talking about yeah, no, right? Yes. Is there a no, yeah? Yes, there is a no, yeah. It has been spotted out there in the wild. In fact, Burge and Flory, in the 16 hours of conversations that they had, they found only four examples of it, which is not enough data to draw any good conclusions, but it seems to have similar kinds of functions. Uh, I got to tell you, I'm a little disappointed. In what? Well, I asked you if there's such thing as a no, yeah, and you failed to respond. Yeah, no, there's a no, yeah. Is this an example of you not caring about conversational harmony? <laughs> Yet another. All right. Well, whether or not you care about conversational harmony, you can write to us at slatelexiconvalley at gmail.com. That's slatelexiconvalley at gmail.com. You can find all the past episodes of our show at slate.com slash lexiconvalley. If you have not already, please go to iTunes and subscribe to our podcast. While there, you can leave a rating and a review. I want to thank Andy Bowers, the executive producer of Slate's podcast, and all of the Lexicon Valley listeners for waiting so patiently for a new episode. All right, Mikey. We done here? We are done. Later, Gator. Cause...